Good morning. Oh no, everybody's leaving. Not a good sign. We were in your church once before 20 years ago. I don't know if any of you remember us. We were sitting somewhere over there, but anyway. Anyway, um, my wife's just going to give us give a quick introduction. We have like five-minute video clip of our ministry, and so um, I'll just give you an introduction to who we are. Uh, I grew up in Wanakee, and Randy grew up in Cross Plains. We grew up in Catholic homes, and we got married in the Catholic Church in Wanakee in 1980, and then we moved to the Chicago area. And within two years, we both became Christians through the influence of other people and reading the Word of God. Randy went out to Moody Bible Institute, um, and then we did involved in various ministries there in the Chicago area. Our four children were born there. And then in 93, we moved up to the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, where Randy was a pastor there for eight years. And then in 2001, uh, we went overseas to Ukraine. So we've been there 13 years now. And our kids, when we went to Ukraine, were 16, 13, and 11, and 9. And so at the end of the video clip, you'll see our four children and where they're at today. Yeah, I do speak Uper there if you guys have been up to the UP there. Eh? So I can speak some Russian and some Upen. One time I was in a church and I said, the pastor said, uh, it was in Portage, pastor said, uh, this is Randy Hillebrand, he's a pastor from Bark River Bible Church, and um, he's going to be going to Russia. And so I got up and I said, how are you guys doing there, eh? That's not Russian, that's European. <laughs> and then it hit me what I said. And as I looked, I saw little faces light up across the... And then I said, uh, that didn't sound very good, did it? And then uh, they never did support us. But anyway. <laughs> so if you'd start the clip. So my main ministry is leadership training, and my wife uh, leaders wives and women in the church, literature ministry, and also as we are also involved, as you saw, in evangelism to uh, university students, things like that, so... BBS when we're back in the country during the summer. What I'd like to do this morning is just give you a picture of the type of message or the type of thing that I would teach, I would train pastors in the former Soviet Union, otherwise known as Eurasia. The name of my ministry there is Dynamic Church of Eurasia, and the goal is to help pastors build strong, dynamic churches. And so as I go in and I bring pastors together, I've written uh, different books, but the main one I use is Building a Dynamic Church, where I talk to them about the importance of uh, the Word of God, because under communism, they've, they were, they moved away from the Word of God to, to tradition. And now, the goal is to say, bring them back. I had a, past, a pastor of a church of 1,200 say to me, uh, this, this year at some point when I was with him, he said, Randy, and this is a denomination there, he said, Randy, I don't care what another pastor says. He says, I don't care what the Baptist Union says. I just want to do what the Word of God says. And I was just like, wow. You know, he's, he's got it. And a lot of times when I'm teaching the pastors, he'll stand up, brothers, we need to do this. We need to do exactly what the Word of God says. I told him, you know, Brother Vitaly, I could kiss you. And uh, actually, we're in a local church here speaking just recently, and the pastor of the church says, give me a good Ukrainian greeting. I said, well, come here. And I went to give him a nice little kiss on the lips, and oh, no, you stay away. But uh, that's very, that's 
Not as common as it used to be. One little old man, after I preached there one time, he, every time he sees me now, I can always expect a nice smooch. At least he doesn't have a mustache. That's positive. But anyway, I want to see churches be healthy. I want to see them be dynamic. And that's the purpose of the book, and that's the purpose of the teaching as I teach in Ukraine and go off into the other countries um, of the former, of former Soviet Union. The topic that I, the, the passage I picked today is a key passage to my ministry. And I just feel it's so key to the church. And that's the, the passage I'm going to bring. And one of the reasons I'm bringing it is not only to show you what I teach the pastors there, but secondly, as I look at the Church of America, I'm just very concerned. When I hear statistics that 80% of Christ, evangelical young people, by the time they leave secular university, their faith is destroyed. When I see that a country the size of Indiana, South Korea, will have more missionaries in the world than America, it's always been a leader in world missions. And when I have just read in a book not too long ago that the church of Jesus Christ is growing in every nation around the world, except one. And that's America. And it's declining here. And when I look at all of the resources that the American church has, when I look at the seminaries, when I look at the good Bible schools and everything we have in America, and the church is declining, I just cannot understand that. And it really concerns me. And I hope it does you. So what I would like to do today is I would like us to turn to Ephesians chapter 4. And we're going to look at 11 through 16 in the time that we have, but I would just, to give us a little bit of background, I want to start in verse 7. And as Paul begins there in verse 7, he says to them, and I'm using the New American Standard, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now, each one of us, when we got saved, when we accepted Christ as Savior, at that time, the Holy Spirit came to indwell us. We received grace. We received grace to do the ministry that God has called us to. We have received spiritual gifts. And it says here that he, Christ, the victor, he was victor over sin, over the world, Right When he went to the cross, he was victor over Satan. And because of that, he has the right to give gifts. It says, he, it says here in verse 8, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives and gave gifts to men. So he has the right and he, to give us gifts. But the interesting thing, verse 9 and 10, is parenthetical. It explains what it means that he ascended on high. I'm not going to look at that for time. But look at the end of verse 8. And he gave gifts to men. What were those gifts? Verse 11. And he gave. And so we see the gifts that he gave. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers. Now pastors and teachers generally is looked at, it should be hyphenated, it should be a pastor teacher, a pastor who can teach. A pastor must be able to teach or they should not be in the role of a pastor. So we see these four gifts that God gave to the church. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastor-teachers. 
Now, the, the work of the apostles and prophets we see from 1 Corinthians, from Ephesians, they laid the foundation of the church, which is Jesus Christ. And then based upon the work that they've done, and that was done in the churches as the prophets prophesied things the church needed to know, as they, they and the apostles went out, the church planting movement, the scriptures were written, all of these things laid the foundation. And by the end of the first century, their ministry came to an end. That's why we no longer see apostles and prophets because we have the Word of God, which is in itself totally sufficient for what we need. But still today we have evangelists and pastor teachers. I look at the word evangelist, I really like to say it's, it's talking there about a church planter. And as we look at this, we'll see why. Because the work of an evangelist as they go and start a church is to do the things that we are going to look at. And the pastor is to continue that. If it's just a person who goes church to church and speaks and, you know, and does evangelistic events, then I don't understand why they're listed here. But if it's a church planner, it makes total sense why they're listed here in the work that they're supposed to do. Because as they reach people for Christ as they begin a church, the goal then is to see that church come to maturity. And really, that's the bottom line of this passage that we're going to look at. So as they plan a church, their goal is to take the people of that church and start bringing them to maturity, and then the pastor comes in and takes over and continues the work, and he continues that work of bringing people to maturity, and that's the job that he has. So, you see here, one just very basic point, is that the church planner and the pastor teacher are gifts to the church. So as you see your pastor, just picture him with a big red bow on top of his head, just tied down, and every time you see him, say, there's a gift. There's our gift. There's our gift. And he is. He's a gift to your church from Jesus Christ. First point. Now, as... Paul goes on here, he's going to talk about the job of the church planner and the pastor teacher. And we see that in verse 12. He says here, for the equipping of the saints, he gave them for the equipping of the saints for the work of service, number one. Number two, two, the building up of the body of Christ. So the first aspect of the ministry is their equipping ministry. Equipping people for what? To do the work of service. So the word there for equipping, it has the idea of preparing, completing a person, having the goal of transforming them from what they are as a new Christian to a mature Christian, helping them take the spiritual gifts that they have and develop them and become people who can go out and use their spiritual gift to make an impact for Jesus Christ. That's first. And then secondly, to the building up of the body of Christ. Now the word building up means strengthening in the faith, promoting spiritual growth. That's the second part of their ministry. They're supposed to help you be strengthened in your faith, and they're supposed to help you grow and be more like Jesus Christ. So that's their focus, the building up of the body of Christ. See, Paul was envisioning what? He was envisioning a strong, useful, growing body of believers, a church. Okay? Your pastor says, you know, earlier on, church didn't start because he couldn't turn a wrench. I can't turn a wrench either. But, you know, the church is of God, Jesus Christ. Came, he died, he rose again. 
And as a result, the church exists, the body of Christ. And as the body of Christ, God, when he gave us those gifts, he did it for a reason. You know, God just doesn't give us gifts for no reason. God has a plan for everything he does. He's very specific. Now, so we have the body of Christ, and that's the job of the pastor and evangelist. Now, what I'm going to do at this point is I'm going to sort of step back, and I'm not going to focus on the pastor anymore. What I'm going to do is I'm going to focus on us. I'm going to focus on our aspect in his ministry. See, a pastor can minister to you until you're blue in the face, and if you decide that you're not going to listen to him or you're not going to do what he is teaching you or so on, you know, it's what's going to happen? Nothing. So we have a responsibility in all of this too. And that's what I want to focus on here. Now, what Paul's going to do is he's going to give us three goals, and then he's going to follow that up with three results once you meet the goal. So we're going to see the goal that he has as the pastor and we have as he ministers to the flock. And then we're going to see the goals of reaching or we're going to see the results of reaching those goals. Now let's begin in verse 13. So he's working in verse 12 for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, verse 13, until we all attain, and now he's going to give three goals. Two, we need to look at that preposition. First, two, the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. First, two, a mature man. Two, the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Now, we, we see there the three goals. Let's look at the first. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. Paul puts these two together. Why? Because if we do not have the knowledge of the Son of God, we cannot have unity. And I'm going to show that quite clearly in a little bit. So, as we grow in the things of Christ, as we mature in our faith, what happens? More unity. We become people who are guardians, protectors of unity. We do not want to see disunity. We do not want to see division. And I'll tell you something. When you see churches that split, and you see the things that happen in churches, the people that cause those splits, splits, I don't care how you know, how long they've been in the church. I don't care if they're supposed to be considered pillars of the community. If they have caused that split, I'll guarantee you one thing, they're not mature. Because if they're mature in their faith, they're going to want peace. They're going to want unity. Now, in Colossians 2, and you don't have to turn there, in verses 2 and 3, Paul there talks about the same kind of thing. He's talking about unity and having the knowledge of the Son of God and how those two go together. And then he says this there of Jesus, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. See, as we grow in the knowledge of the Son of God, what do we grow in? We grow in wisdom. We grow in knowledge of the Son of God. We will then reach maturity. What happens when you reach maturity? You're going to have unity. Because it's the people that are not mature in their faith that cause disunity. And so that's the goal, that we are people who have that knowledge. How do we get that? Well, your church provides things. It provides sermons Sunday morning. It comes through reading your Bibles. It comes through being in church regularly, attending Bible studies. Maybe you got home groups, discipleship groups, memorizing Scripture, and applying the things you've learned to your life. So as you study these things, as you do these things, 
That is the process God has given us to mature us. He's given you a pastor teacher and other teachers within the church. Another, you have your church has another elder who I met this morning. They together work together to bring this congregation to maturity. So that's the first goal that we go after. The second goal, the unity of the faith and knowledge of the Son of God. Second goal, to a mature man. Now, that's the ultimate goal, that we become mature. And this is done through the Word of God. I like the way Colossians 1.28 puts it. It says this, We proclaim Him, admonishing, or in other words, warning, exhorting every man and teaching every man with all wisdom, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. Complete in Christ. So it's through the teaching of the Word of God that a person will, as they apply that Word, become complete in Christ. So the Word of God is the instrument that is used to help us grow in our faith. So as we, as we are taught, you know, taught through the teaching, preaching, application of the Word, and we apply that, we are to grow in our faith. What happens if we don't? In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 1-3, it says this, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food. For you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now, you are not yet able. For you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly and are you not walking like mere men? See, what was the result of the Corinthians who were walking like the, unbe- were walking like the world, walking like unbelievers, like mere men? Well, there was jealousy, there was strife. Was there unity? No. We see immaturity. With the immaturity, what do we see? Jealousy and strife. With maturity, we see unity. And so, that's the second aspect that the second goal that we are to have, that the pastor is to have, the evangelist is to have, the church planter, is that we come to maturity. And the third is listed, in, again in verse 13, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Now to sum this up, the pastor, as he does his work, is to bring people to the point of maturity where they are as filled with Jesus Christ as they can be. That's the idea. When we talk there, the, when he talked there about the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ, the idea is his job is to fill you as full of Jesus Christ as he can. You as not you as individuals, but also you as a church. That's his job. Jesus, 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 you know, bringing you, filling you through his ministry so you come to the point where you manifest Jesus Christ. That's the third goal. And so, just recapping, three goals until we attain two. The unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, one. Two, to a mature man. Three, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Now, once a church or an individual attains to that, 
we're now going to see the results. How do I know the next three verses are the results? Well, verse 14 says, as a result. Figured that out myself. <laughs> as a result. As a result what? Number one. We are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness in deceitful scheming. As a result, when a congregation or when a person becomes mature in their faith, the result will be that they will what? They will not be children tossed here and there. The idea there of that means swung around until they're dizzy. In other words, there will not be confusion. They will not be disoriented by the false teachers as they come to speak to them false doctrine. They're not going to be confused because they're going to be mature. They're going to use their minds. They're going to use the knowledge of the, of the Scriptures and they're going to say, wait a minute, this is not right, this is not true because... But when they're immature, oh really? Oh, I didn't know that. My pastor never taught that. Isn't that interesting? Because they're not mature. They don't understand the things of Christ. They don't have the knowledge of the Son of Christ. They don't understand the Scriptures. Also, they are not to be easily moved and persuaded by every false doctrine that comes their way. By the trickery of men. The word there in the Greek literally means dice plane. They're not to be tricked as somebody comes and brings them false doctrine. And are also not to be deceived by the cleverness and skillful cunning of the false teachers. Why? Because they're mature. That's the first goal. You will not be deceived. Second goal, we see that in verse 15. But, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head, even Christ. See, Christ gives us the grace. We saw that earlier in verse 8, verse 7 and 8. We see that He gives the grace, but He's also the goal that we become more like Jesus Christ. But as so, the picture here, but speaking the truth in love. In other words, as the Word of God is taught, as it's taught in an atmosphere of love. And you know, sometimes the Word of God is just taught harshly. It's taught in a way that's not loving. You know, but the goal is that as it's taught in love, and you have that atmosphere, he says here, we grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head, even Christ. We become more and more like Jesus Christ. We mature, we manifest Christ's likeness. That's the second goal. So, people should see in us Jesus Christ. The third goal we see in verse 16. From whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. So the third thing we see is that the body of Christ has been so designed and assembled so that the grace of Christ flows through that body in such a way that the end result is what? Love. One of the things that I, when I teach the pastors in the former Soviet Union, I tell them that the signs of a dynamic or a mature church 
is that they're a church of faith, they're a church of hope, and they're a church of love. And I, you know, I make the point, I said, you know, does Paul ever talk in the epistles and say, oh, I'm really excited. I just heard that your church got a new donkey and wagon to bring the children to Sunday school. Oh, I understand you got a new building project going on. I understand you got 20 new people attending the church. For some strange reason, Paul does not talk about those things. But you look at his epistles, and he says, he talks to them, that they need to be a church of faith. He says they need to be growing in their faith. They need to be growing in their hope. First and second Thessalonians talk about that. You look, ten times in five chapters, he talks about their faith, their hope, and their love. And then he says, you know, at the, as he's closing that epistle, and you need to be growing in your faith, and you need to be growing in your love. And how does he start chapter, or how does he start 2 Thessalonians? Verse 3, he talks about the fact they grew in their faith and they grew in their love. He said in the first one, you need to do this. In the second one, he follows it right up. I've learned, I have heard, you have grown in these things. So it's not how big our church is. It's not how many people come. It's not if we have a church bus or something that we send out to pick up people. What's important to Paul was are we a church of faith, hope, and love? And too many times we, we, we get excited about, you know, it, you know, church is growing. It's a good thing to be excited about. But the more important basic stuff is, are we people, are we a church of faith, hope, and love? And see, that's what Paul's saying here in verse 16. The body has been so designed and assembled so the grace of Christ goes through each of us, through our ministries, and the end result is that we grow in, as a body, in love. And what happens when that happens? Great things happen. But what happens when that's not happening? What happens when we're not using our spiritual gifts? What happens is this. The grace of God is flowing, flowing, and it comes to us, and it just stops. It's hindered. Think of it like a house, and you got water pipes going throughout that house, and all of a sudden it comes to a clogged pipe, and the water just sits there and it stops flowing. Or maybe it's leaky and the water starts to drip out and go on the ground and there's no water pressure. You get the same picture with inside the church. The grace comes to people because they come to church to do one thing, to fill a pew, to put in their, do their duty, to come on Sunday morning. And they do that. They don't use the spiritual gift they were given at salvation. And so as the grace is going through the church, through the body, it comes to them and it's... And it doesn't flow. And then we have a negative result. And this is what Paul is talking about in verse 16, that the church is growing, the grace is flowing, the church is building up itself in love. And you see the love manifested within the body of Christ. And so that's what the church is supposed to be. It's supposed to be mature, unified, and Christ-centered. It's not supposed to be easily deceived. It's, it's, it's supposed to be Christ-like, and it's supposed to be built up in love. And I'll tell you something. When that happens, you know what happens? Great things. Because you have a mature body of believers that's protecting unity, that's trying to make an impact for Jesus Christ, and they're doing it on a personal level, they're doing it on a corporate level as a church, and they're doing it through world missions. And they're making it impact for Jesus Christ. 
I was talking to some people this morning, your pastor and I were talking too about um, persecution and what's going on out in the world, and it's coming. You know, it's coming here to the U.S. And we're talking about the church needs to be ready. And I don't know if it was him who said it to me or someone else that said, a lot of churches don't even understand this. And I believe it's true. And we need to be ready. We need to be mature. We as individual believers need to be mature. We as a church body need to be mature. We need to be unified. When I taught in Uzbekistan where there's a lot of persecution going on, sometimes Christians there will be given fines that amount to 40 to 100 times their monthly salary. And their monthly salary is not much. And if they don't pay that, they end up in prison. And you just see, and they said persecution came so fast, we didn't know how to handle it. And I remember reading that in church history when I was a student at Moody Bible Institute. I read about, they said that persecution came like lightning. You know, think about what you see in the news today with ISIS. We never, whoever heard of ISIS a month ago? Anybody? One. But all of a sudden, we hear about them. They're in the news all the time. And they're going through the land, and they're cutting off people's heads. They're killing Christians. They're killing children. They're killing men, women, and children. We never heard of them before. That's how quick something like this can happen. We need to be ready. We need to be mature. We need to be working. And as the pastor and your elders and your uh, teachers and that are ministering within the church, we need to be there and allowing that ministry to come into our lives to impact us to make us more like Jesus Christ. Now, for this to happen, just want to give you five things. One, first, Jesus Christ must be our first love. Second, the Word of God must be an integral part of our lives. We need to be reading it, studying it, memorizing it, applying it. Third, churches must be training center, training centers where people are gathered to be taught and trained and not entertained. And then they need to scatter to do the work, the ministry that God has given them in evangelism. Fourth, this will only occur when we take our faith seriously. Especially parents, it's not the church's job to prepare your children for life. It's your job. The church comes along to assist you in that and to help you in that. We need to take our faith seriously within our homes praying with our kids, reading the scriptures to our kids, teaching them the word of God, helping them rise up to be strong believers. Fifth and last, we need to know that we have a personal, growing, living relationship with God. It can't be done out of duty. It can't be done out of tradition. Because when our faith is nothing more than duty and tradition, really it amounts to nothing. We need to be people that are working and growing to become more like Jesus, to, be, to grow closer to God the Father. And it needs to be a relationship like with your wife or maybe you're dating. You know how you remember when you're first dating and you, know, you first saw her? You know? And then what did you do? You pursued her. And you wanted to get to know her and you wanted to hear from her. We'd write each other, my wife and I, from I lived in Cross Plains, her in Wanakee, every week, send letters to each other. Talking, dating, always wanted to be with each other. 
Our relationship needs to be like that with God. We need to be pursuing. We need to want to know Him. We need to want to grow in that relationship with Him and not just do what we do out of religious duty or tradition. And that will make a great difference in our faith, in your church, as we grow and come to know Jesus better. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for Jesus who came, who died, who rose again, that we might have life eternal. Father, we know that without Jesus, we could never get to heaven on our own. But Father, you loved us so much that you sent him to die on the cross so that when we receive him, ask him to come into our lives as a free gift, that we receive that gift of eternal life. Thank you for that. Thank you for caring. Thank you for wanting a relationship with people like us who were your enemies, who were helpless. But Father, at the right time, you sent Jesus, and we thank you for him. So Father, we pray that you would continue to work in each of our lives, helping us to mature, helping us to reach these goals, and that these results would be seen in each of our lives. We ask this in his name. Amen. Uh, sometimes after there's a guest speaker, the pastor gets up and re-preaches the sermon. I'm not going to do that. But what I am going to do is I'm going to make some pastoral applications really fast here. As I was listening to the message, and thank you so much for that, there were several things that came to my mind of how our church could benefit from uh, what we just heard. Um, and the one point that he talked about was the idea of if we don't use our giftedness, uh, then we are not maturing in Christ. And he talked about some of those things that, that happened with that. So the question came to my mind then as I was listening to, well, why don't we use our spiritual gifts sometimes? Well, what, what causes us to do that? And quickly, I just wrote down three things real fast. Um, honestly, I, as not just our church, but a lot of churches I'm in contact with, a lot of people in the congregations are just way too tired. Uh, there's a lot going on in their lives. Uh, there's, there's so many things that are pulling families in different directions. And I think there's too many distractions. And sometimes when we, we, get, we get tired, the first thing that goes out the window is our commitment to church and, and utilizing our spiritual giftedness. And there's different reasons for that, but um, I, I think that is one of the, the first things that, that goes. And my mind went to John 4 as I was thinking about that. And Jesus, in his, his interaction with the woman at the well, uh, John describes Jesus there. He says, Jesus, what was Jesus like when he went and sat down at the well? He was tired, right? Remember that? Jesus, being wearied from his journey, sat down. I remember a while ago looking at that passage and thinking, you know, the last thing I'd want to do is have a conversation with this lady at that point. I, I, I really would not want to have a conversation. I'd be tired. But Jesus didn't let that stop him from doing what he knew he needed to do. And so for us as individuals, we have a lot of distractions. We have a lot of things pulling us in several different directions. Let, let's, let's not get distracted by those things and let, let's use our giftedness and, and mature in the Lord 
uh, as, as he was saying. The second reason I thought is, and, and I'm and really thinking this one through, and we're going to be talking about this as a church coming up here, but the second reason why I think maybe some people don't use their giftedness in the context of a church is because they're hurt. Uh, they've been hurt in the past. Uh, they've had um, maybe some uh, poor experiences with somebody else. They've tried to step out and use their giftedness and it didn't go well or whatever. I think that we have a congregation, as I've been thinking and praying about people in the church, we do have people that are dealing with hurts, interpersonal hurts and things. And um, for that, we need to understand that love covers a multitude of sin. Uh, the last one is, I think, sometimes the reason why we're not, we don't use our giftedness because we're deceived. We're too gullible. Sometimes Satan's tactics is to say that, well, you don't have anything that this church needs, or that or th- there's people more qualified than you to do this. Um, that's, we fall right into the trap of the enemy. I'm sure there's other reasons why we don't use our giftedness. But as, as your pastor, someone who loves you very much, those are things I'm thinking, yeah, I'm, I'm wondering if that's evidenced in our church. And so let's, we're, we are going to be tired, and there's a couple ways to overcome that. One is to minimize some of those distractions. Maybe, maybe the kids don't need to be involved in as many things, or maybe uh, uh, you limit it to one sport or whatever. I don't know, or, or you say no to other things, but it's too easy to say no to the church. And then maybe there's some reconciliation that needs to happen, and maybe there's just some good old-fashioned saying no to the devil and saying, no, I'm going to use my giftedness for King Jesus. So as your pastor, these are things I think we can apply. These are some ways I think we can apply what we just heard. Well, let's stand and sing, build your kingdom here, and uh, then we'll give the benediction tonight. Let's stand together.